welcome to the 11 Dubcast. I'm Johnny Ginner. I'm Michael Citro. And let's talk some football. Let's talk Ohio State football yes. specifically. Let's talk about Ohio State football beating Rutgers football even more specifically. Yes. I yeah, I want to say I very much enjoyed this past game. I had a very good time watching it. It was a lot of fun. That is my analysis. What 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 is yours? I'm going to add to your analysis by saying that Can you? It, is that even possible? Yeah, I'm, just a little bit. I'm just going to expound on what you so uh, eloquently already said. Yeah. That um, it was a it was a butt kicking, and I really enjoyed putting the newbies in their place. You know, the last couple games and allowing these uh, folks to. To say, you know, just to tell them, you're not Missouri and you're not Texas A&M. This is not the SEC. You're not just going to walk in and take over. <laughs> We're going yeah, to. This is the Big uh, Ten. That's right. You can't just walk into the Big Ten and just think you're going to win it. Well, you can if you're a good team. But if you're <laughs> not a good team, like Rutgers or Maryland, then no, you cannot do that. Um, I think maybe some people are a little worried about Rutgers, maybe because of their record, which is stupid. Um like beating Michigan, I gotta tell you something. There were still some people I saw on the internet before the Rutgers game, like acting like beating Michigan was a legitimate win in any way, which is really funny to me because I think that goes to show how much name recognition they still have. But holy crap, like Michigan is a bad, bad team. Beating them is nothing, and beating them by like what, what like two points at the end of the game is even worse than nothing. Like that, that's actually a negative against you that it took you that long to do it. So I was not concerned about Rutgers whatsoever going into this game. Um, you know, and here's the other thing. The way Ohio State's offense is playing, it doesn't even matter if Rutgers was a decent team because they are just rolling over everybody. Like, they are just kicking the crap out of everybody. And the transition that this team has made on offense from the Virginia Tech game to now is just completely ridiculous. I mean, Yes, I, JT I, I agree Barrett, with you. Yeah, I mean, JT Barrett rolling up like, what, over 360 or 368 yards of offense, something like that. Just completely insane. Had an over 100 yard rushing game, um, more than any other rusher on the field, which is amazing. It, I'm really impressed with this dude, and I'm like in full like over hype mode on him. Like I, I'm just like putting all of my eggs into that basket at this point. Just in time for us to run into a defense with a pulse. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, no, I wasn't worried about Ohio State scoring points. That wasn't really ever a concern for me. I, I seen good and bad Gary Nova, and good Gary Nova is very, very good and can make a yes. lot of plays, and their receivers are very good as well. So I was wondering if the defense would hold up, and I think for the most part they did. They gave up one, I don't know, 40-something yard pass. I think uh, Duran Grant got caught, like, peeking again, and, and they – dropped one over top of him for a big gain right at that last drive of the second uh, first half. Uh, and I think that was basically it. I think uh, the defense handled it, yeah. business pretty well. The, the defensive line played well. I thought the linebackers played well. The defensive backs played well. All around a good effort. Now, you know, again, you're looking at your competition and saying it's Rutgers. You know, what do we really know about them? They hadn't really played anybody. They were a 5-1 and one team that had really no marquee wins. And, um, a loss to a, an average Penn State team. So uh, it was a little difficult to tell what we would get in terms of defense. Defense showed up very well. Offense is just really humming, even though the Urban Meyer said today that the offense didn't play well <laughs> in, in, sure. in rolling up its 500 yards and 50 points, uh, 56 points. Actually, we have, we have to give actually we have to give seven points of that to the defense. So only 49 sure. points for the offense, but. Uh, 
you know, and that's coach speak because there were things that you could work on. I mean, there were a couple of throws I mean, that JT had that were a little behind receivers. You underthrew one that would have been a short touchdown. But right. uh, other than that, you you really can't look at it and go, oh, I'm disgusted with all of you. <laughs> I, I mean, that's got to be there. That's some pretty high level coach speak from Urban Meyer, because if you look at the drive chart, I mean, Ohio State, like, you know, right off the bat, touchdown, next drive, touchdown, like next drive after that, touched it or yeah, touched it like first three drives went for touchdowns. Um Actually, I think maybe the first three or four, I don't know. I can't. I can't remember offhand. I think they had a punt after that. Yeah. So I think. Yeah, it was a three. It was right. three touchdowns, then a punt, and then after the punt, we we got the defensive score, and then we got another touchdown on the next drive. I think so. Uh, it was right. pretty so lopsided. There really isn't, in my opinion. I mean, I'm sure coaches can always find like formational things, like oh, this guy missed an assignment or something like that. But the results are in the points, and I like. That was just a clinic that Ohio State put on. And I just, that's what happens when your team just beats the other team in terms of athletes and scheme and things like that. Because here's the other thing, you know, as far as the offense goes, I think if you put in this offense, the way they have it going, if you put the right people in the right places, it's going to be successful. Because I think it's a very sound scheme. And I think they have a lot of really, really, really cool ideas that they run through it. Like, it's not. It's not super predictable. It, however, does rely on certain base plays, which I think are successful because they work. And they rely on some really, you know, smart misdirection. I mean, they they had, like, Dontre Wilson, the Wildcat, and that was really successful when they pulled it off. Like, it wasn't just a stupid, like, gimmick play where everybody saw it coming. It worked. It was a smart call for that time. And and that's the thing. As long as they keep being smart about the, the different pieces that they have and use them correctly, it's going to work. I mean, Ezekiel Elliott, right? Like, Ezekiel only had 12 rushes. That's all he needed. He still got a touchdown, and he was still averaging 5.8 per carry. Mm -hmm. So it's like you don't need to run the dude 30 times in the game to have a successful running game. They had, like, what, like over 300 yards of rushing? Right. And their marquee running back only had 12 carries? That's the most anybody on the team had. Like, that. I love that. I absolutely love that. And I, I think that, A... Shows you like completely demoralizes the other team when everybody's rushing well. B keeps everybody fresh and injury free, hopefully. And C anybody trying to plan for you in the future has no idea what to do about that because, I mean, JT Barrett rushes for a hundred. Like next week is Ezekiel Elliott. Maybe he you know is spelled the week after that, and Curtis Samuel takes over a game. Like you don't know, and I, I just think that's a really really cool aspect of the offense. And I also want to talk with you, and, and this is kind of the bigger thing that I'm curious about, about what you think about this is uh, how the defense played. Um, not just like overall, but like I'm, I'm more, if I have a concern, I'm more interested in the, like the two or three deep with the defense, because I do think there's some drop off there. And as, as excited as I was about the way the ones played and they played really, really well, uh, you know, for the first three quarters of this game, I do think that there is some significant drop off in the back end of that. So I don't I mean, do you agree with me on that? How do you feel about that? Yeah, I think we've seen once we've gotten big leads the last few weeks that the defense has uh, subbed liberally and it hasn't gone well. And that's with a mixture. I think it's I don't know if it's necessarily the backups. I think it might be a chemistry issue because there's been some backups and some starters in there at the same time. Um, yeah. I remember they got a big 
I think it was a touchdown run of about maybe 20 yards or so, if, if I recall correctly, uh, where I know Josh Perry was in the game and some of the defensive backs were starters. Some weren't. Some of the defensive line were starters and some weren't. So I, I think maybe, again, it's not understanding what the person next to you is going to do. And maybe some of it is a little drop off in, you know, attention span with the big lead. It's it's kind of hard to tell. But, yeah, I think if there's anything, right. if there's a weak spot on the team in terms of uh, the way it's playing right now, it certainly has to be a depth situation, especially in, in key positions. Now, I will say this about the defense. I think that we saw the best game of the career in the careers of Duran Grant and Steve Miller. I thought both played extremely well this week. Yeah, I would I would definitely agree with that. Um, Steve Miller, see, that was the thing, and we were always worried about like just defensive line depth because of you know the suspension and like maybe an injury popping up or something like that. But I, I do think they're going to be all right. They have a lot of really young guys and the linebacker, obviously. I mean, I don't <laughs> I don't know what you do with Raekwon McMillan at this point. Like, do I like do you think he's done enough to be a starter? I mean, every time he's in, something happens. Like. This is not like a couple game situation. This is literally every time he's gone in for an extensive, like for more than a play, he does something. And it, I, I don't know how long you can keep that guy off the field. Yeah, well, and they're not keeping him off the field. I think they're, they seem to be using McMillan and Grant in the same way that they will put Devin Smith on the field one play and then Michael Thomas right. the next play. It's like, let's just keep rolling them and, and, you know, guys will stay fresh, and and you you never know what you're going to get. And then the you know the quarterback has to look up and say, oh, okay, am I going against McMillan? Am I going against Grant? You know, what do we do here? It's it's a really nice thing to do. It if you go back to Myers Florida defenses, that's what they had there. They had guys that was like, okay, well we'll put five more guys out there that are different, and you know keep keep rolling them, and it, it really right. wears you down over the course of the day. I think if if you can. I mean, because nowadays it's very important with with teams running up tempo and playing, you know, getting more plays per game in. I mean, it, I don't think I mean, obviously, Rutgers didn't do that, but uh, a team like Maryland or, or um, even Penn State, when they've gone to their NASCAR in the past, it's like, you know, they can roll up 80 or 90 plays in a game. So if your defense is going to be on the field that long, it's it's better to have one middle linebacker on the field, 45 plays and the other 45 plays. Right. Then have right. one guy going 90 plays. So. I, th- I I think it's a good it's a good problem to have to have Curtis Grant playing better and have Raekwon McMillan come in and absolutely playing phenomenally his first year because you know you're not going to see any drop off next year you're going to see McMillan as the starter and, and again I don't care who starts it's like when they named Michael Thomas first on the depth chart I was like oh so what you know he's still going <laughs> to play the same number of snaps it's it's right. nice for him it's good to see your name as the starter but it's kind of like hockey you're rolling lines you know. You're not, you know, nobody says, oh, this guy started five straight games, you know, in the NHL because because starts mean nothing in the NHL. Um, Right. And I agree with that. I I do think and you bring up an important point, which is that uh, Grant has definitely been playing, you know, much better. And he's he's not like the elite five star that I think a lot of people expect him to be. But he has definitely been a very solid linebacker this year. And, you know, he he's earned the reps that he's getting. So. I agree with you on that, and I, I do think it's interesting, you know, it's it's interesting how the formations might be different, and maybe they're different play styles and things like that, and I think once we start to encounter maybe some really decent offenses, um, and by decent I mean like Big Ten decent, not necessarily like, you know, nationally decent, 
But it'll be interesting to see who they end up relying more on in terms of like liability and things like that. Right, so, like an offense like Indiana's where you're going to see a good passing right. team plus a guy like you know Tevin Coleman, uh, who is phenomenal running back. Uh, you're going yeah, exactly. to be able to see what they can do against that kind of thing. It's not going to be not, the not same. Just, not just phenomenal, Michael, but incredible, like really incredible. Amazing. Uh, amazing even. Uh, so – I, yeah, I, I'm really interested to see how this works out in the future because right now, obviously, we're, like, reveling this incredible, like, oh, they're so great right now. Oh, my gosh, I'm so excited about Ohio State football. And you should be because they're a young team that is performing very well, and, frankly, I did not expect them to perform this well given the fact that Braxton Miller was lost for the year, you know, like, what, two weeks before the season started? So th- this this comes as a surprise to me, and granted – if you had told me, you know, are they going to be like, are they going to have this record? Are they going to be five and one, six games in the season? I probably would have said, yeah, probably. But I don't think they would have, I didn't expect them to look as good as they've had on their way to five and one. Um, but with that said, I mean, we're at five and one right now. How do you think Ohio State projects, you know, into the rest of the season then? Well, this is going to be a first real test for the offense because uh, Penn State has a really good defensive line, very active. Yeah. Um, they get after you. They shut down Especially the run. In terms of stopping the run, yeah, they're, too, they're really good. Really good against the run. So it's going to be interesting to see if if uh, freshman quarterback on the road in that environment, in front of a hundred thousand screaming fans in their whiteout gear, uh, can keep doing what he's doing. And if he if he does, then the sky's the limit. If he uh, you know if he shrinks in the spotlight or or has some mistakes uh, where they force him into mis- some mistakes, we'll see how he responds. But I still think this is a team capable of beating everyone on their schedule, and the one team that really still I'm still not sure if they can beat on the road at night is Michigan State. Right. Uh, so I would say that this team projects to be, in my opinion, uh, a team that could win out and get to the Big Ten championship game, or could stumble against Michigan State and still go to a very nice bowl game. Yeah. So that's I mean you know it'll be very interesting to see how it plays out. I you know, man, I, I'm still not really willing. Ready, I'm still not ready or willing to say that they, um, you know, are looking forward to like the, um, the like the playoff or whatever. But mm-hmm. man, if they can get past Michigan State and they can win out after that, and and I honestly think people should not sleep on Minnesota or Indiana. But um, if they can get past these three night games in a row, take care of business, Michigan, Indiana, like. <laughs> hope to God they do not somehow blow it against Michigan at home, then yeah, maybe I could see them making that um, playoff push. But I, I'm really, yeah, man, I, I got to tell you something. The next five weeks are going to be really, 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 really interesting. And I think this is like, the prologue is over, right? Certainly. Like we've played the cupcakes. We've lost the big game. Fine. That's all in the past. Now it's time to, bra- to get down to brass tacks. And I'm really, really interested to see how this team ends up performing against, you know, Penn State, good defense, not a great offense, but whatever. Illinois, it's at home, it's at night. That should be cake. But then you got to play Michigan State on the road at Minnesota, which Minnesota has looked you know, pretty decent this year. Uh, kind of surprised. And then, of course, Indiana with a really high-powered offense. So I'm I'm curious about all of that. Um, another thing I'm curious about, Michael, yes. is to uh, see what kind of questions people threw at us this week for Ask Us Anything. Um, so... If you'd like to ask us anything, you can drop us a line via email at 11dubcast at gmail.com. Or you can send us a message on the Twitters, which is uh, – I'm my handle is Johnny11W, 
and Michaels is 11W underscore Michael. We got, we got some questions this week. Yes, and I'm that was there. a phenomenal segue, by the way. Thank you. I, <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, so you've got a couple. I've got a couple. Do you want to start with yours? Yeah, let's go with these ones here. I got on the Twitters. The Twitters. I always like the Twitters. Um, the first one I'm going to uh, read here is from Daniel Norris. Ooh, excellent. Daniel wants to know. If uh, he wants to know, are the polls a complete joke now, or do they have any <laughs> credibility? Go Bucks! And my answer to that is, the polls have always been a complete joke. They're, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a bunch of guys who don't watch all the games because they're covering one specific team generally, and they're supposed to choose who the best teams in the country are and rank them, which one's better than the next, and that kind of thing. Um, it, they've always been a joke, but they're more of a joke now, I would say, because now we have, I think, we've evolved the society to have this need to be right all the time. And right. so when when a, if, if if a team like let's say I let's say I'm an AP writer and I select Baylor number three at the beginning of the country uh, the beginning of the year three in the country, and they lose a game, well I don't want to admit that I was wrong about Baylor because they've never beat good teams on the road ever. Uh, I don't want to say I'm wrong about Baylor, so I'm just going to slide them down a couple of little spots and keep them <laughs> ahead of some very good teams. Um, and that's what you're having now. It's in the back in the old days, it was simple. If you lost and the teams behind you won. You slid down below the teams that won. It doesn't happen right. that way anymore. So yeah, they're they're a complete joke now and and always have been. Yeah, I mean, it's even what's funny to me is like obviously those are a joke, but then you look at the uh, the coaches' polls as well, which is even better because not only do you have people who like are disinterested in the whole thing, but you also have people who just simply don't have the time at all to care about like ranking teams or whatever. So. <laughs> I yeah, the, it's pretty funny to me, and yes, they are a complete joke. Right. I would I would go along. With I that. watched 14 hours of college football last weekend, and uh, last yeah. Saturday, last Saturday alone, I watched 14 hours of college. That's football. a lot, and I only saw what five six games. Right. So I mean, exactly. you don't see everything. No, and it's there's a lot of just confirmation bias and just trying to mm -hmm. you know, basically just hope that you know what you're talking about and that nobody notices. Uh, <laughs> So here right. I have another question from Joe Booter, uh, or Joe Duter is at Joe Duter <laughs> is at Joe Duter, but his name is Joe Booter. Oh, oh I get it because he's doing the Halloween thing. Booter, I get it. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> nice Joe. Uh, Joe wants to know when are we going to stop throwing to the tight end so much? Uh, yeah, because we did. We threw the it's tight end. What three catches, right? Yeah, I think it was three, but it was like uh, touchdown, touchdown. <laughs> big gainer for first down you know it was like right. it was great um i love our tight ends jeff hireman and um nick vanette are very very talented tight ends i like to see them get rewarded with catches because they do such a great job blocking and they're they're so uh, they're just good guys and good athletes so um, i'm glad we're throwing to the tight ends how about you yeah well it's just an, it's another weapon you know like that's that's like the biggest thing about this like to me, there is nothing better in this offense than like making defensive coordinators have to worry about something else. And Vanette, I mean, and Hireman, these guys can catch the ball. They're not glorified offensive linemen. They're really good at catching the ball. Mm -hmm. And man, making teams game plan for them is hilarious because I, I don't know that they're going to be like NFL tight ends, right? Like, I don't know that they're. Oh, that they team. are. Yes. Hireman is, uh, in fact, um, Todd McShay, say what you want about him, has him rated, I think, number one as like a second, third round pick. 
That surprises me, honestly. I, I like I'm I'm a little more skeptical, I think, than Todd McShay because I think they lack some of the mobility. But maybe it's just because I haven't seen it. You know what I mean? Like obviously I'm not a draft expert, but regardless, as long as there are bodies that can catch the ball, that that's that's really, in my opinion, all that really matters. Like you don't have to make them be all stars. I mean, even if they have that talent, as long as you just have to make the opposing team worry about them, you know, for a half a second. That might be the half a second that you need to get guys like open way downfield for a long touchdown, or that might be the half a second that you need to pull a guard so that you can spring somebody for a long gain. Like that is super important, and I'm really, really glad that we're starting to to look at those guys more. I think that's that's awesome. So I'm really excited about that. Um, you know, maybe <laughs> hopefully more than just like three every couple games, but you know, whatever works is my <laughs> my official stance on that. Um, okay, so we got a uh, we got another question here on Twitter from Jackson underscore Knife. Uh, if Ohio State were six and zero, how many, if any, one loss teams would be ranked ahead of them, Michael? Every one of them. <laughs> uh, so again, well, you know, I, I'm just sick of the polls. They they, they weary me. <laughs> I mean, you know. Well, where did Ohio State start out at the beginning of the year? Uh, what were we? Top five? Top six? Yeah, we're, I think Ohio State was fairly high. Although one thing that is important to keep in mind is that, you know, the preseason poll, I believe, was conducted, you know, like with the assumption that Ohio State still had Braxton Miller. Right. Yeah. Ohio, yeah. yeah. And it, I think it was like on that weird time because Ohio State was ranked fifth in the AP top 25 poll in the preseason. Um, and then they moved up in week two. They were down to eighth because I think that's when they were like, oh, yeah, they don't have Braxton Miller. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they lost to Virginia Tech. Right, and then Virginia Tech sent us to something like 20, uh, 22. So I, I, I think if they had kept it up, I think they would still have been a top 10 team. I, I don't know that that many teams would be ahead of them. I think, I think Alabama still... and Auburn and Oregon probably would all still be ahead of Ohio State. You I, think so? I, I, yeah, because the, 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 the writers and the national media love those teams. They, they love to put Oregon high, even though Oregon, again, like Baylor – usually proves that when they run into a good team with a pulse away from Watson, they don't do well. Yeah. Um, and they love Alabama and Auburn because SEC giants, <laughs> you know, but I haven't seen I a think... great team yet this year. I haven't. Maybe Ole Miss is a great team or maybe Mississippi State is a great team. I don't know. But I haven't seen a great team yet this year or, or an unbeatable team. But I, I think those three teams with one loss would be ahead of Ohio State right now and possibly I... Notre Dame. <laughs> I'm going to differ you a little bit. I think the only team that might be ahead of them, if that were the case, would be Alabama. And that's only because they lost to Ole Miss, which, you know, people have rated pretty highly right now. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know. I think the name recognition gets Ohio State that respect. And if they beat Virginia Tech, that's kind of a marquee national game at night. I think that would keep them up in the polls. Um, they would definitely be a top five team. And that's what kind of sucks because – that is a game, and, and that also, you know, I think segs into the next one here from Mr. Milko, uh, Milko N7 on the Twitters. Uh, could Ohio State beat Virginia Tech in a rematch? Yes. Yes, yes. Ohio State beat Virginia Tech in a rematch. Like, that was Virginia Tech. That was Beamer Ball. That was, um, you know, them game planning extremely well for the Ohio State offense, running that bare front, which, like, you know, they had no real answer to. Um, it was three yes, things. Yes, Ohio State would be able to beat them, and, and the fact that they didn't beat them is really screwing them over right now. Yeah, it, was, it so. was three things that led to that. Number one was the scheme. Number two, freshman quarterback in only his second game, hadn't seen right. a lot of things yet. 
Number three was the offensive line hadn't gelled yet. So those three aspects have all taken place since then. And if they played again right now, I don't even think it would be a close game. I think Ohio State win by three or four touchdowns. Oh, God, no, especially with the way Virginia Tech has gone in the in the interval since then. You know what I mean? Like, yes. It's obviously a team that has kind of taken a different trajectory. The Buckeyes broke yeah. them. They broke them. That's right. It's like they broke Cincinnati. Ohio. Yeah. You don't want to play like, Ohio State because win or lose, you're going to lose your next couple games. Yeah, which they did. And, and again, not to necessarily – not to good teams either. I mean, they lost to East Carolina, which, I mean, is argue, arguably a good team. Uh, occasionally, and then Virginia or Georgia Tech, and then they lost Georgia to Pittsburgh Tech. last week. So yes. I mean, it's it's uh yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, high state is cursed. And That's Cincinnati got smoked by Memphis. <laughs> right, and then they obviously had some you know some injury stuff of their own that really has not helped them out. So the the moral of the story is don't play Ohio State. Don't even try to play Ohio State. Just lose, lay down, and uh, yeah, you'll be the better for it. That's my personal opinion. So. Uh, and I would, I would love it if every team did that all the way to the national championship. That would be great. If, if they want to help us out that way, that would be really cool of them. But, you know, sometimes teams just aren't that cool. Nope. By the way, where is Ohio State right now in the rankings? That's something I need to, I need to take a look AP at. AP is 13 because they didn't move at all, and that's what irritated me and really grinded my gears. <laughs> right. And do we know what the, the coaches poll has them at? Uh, I think 12 maybe. Okay, so I, I mean, I don't love that, but I'm not super PO'd about it, I don't think. No, it's too uh, early. I mean, there's a lot of football to be played. And again, and honestly, you talked about it earlier about looking ahead, and I'm I'm enjoying this season because of the, all the unknowns so much that right. it's like I'm not I'm not I'm not sitting there hoping we get through and on the edge of my seat getting through. Get, Got to get through this without a loss. And I'm not I'm not looking for Ohio State to survive. I'm actually. I'm actually enjoying watching them play and seeing what they're going to do next because it seems like this year I have no idea what they're going to do next. Well, I got to tell you something. I'm really looking forward to hearing that speech from you when we lose to uh, Michigan State. That'll be great. <laughs> I won't be speechifying then. I'll be just like <laughs> drinking heavily. Oh, there you go. Then you and Mark D'Antonio can have the same like you know frowny Kermit the Frog face. So that'll be great. Next question. So anyway, yeah. So that's ask us anything. Uh, please send us a e- an email to 11 at gmail.com or hit us up on the Twitters. Um, again, I'm Johnny11w and Michael is 11w underscore Michael. So, yeah, send them in. Send them. All right, joining us tonight is Ben Jones, a Penn State beat writer from statecollege.com. How are you doing, man? Hey, man, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, fellas. Well, thanks for coming on again. You are one of our most reliable guests and always always brings the heat. Like We're really excited this year, actually, because I think this is going to be a really good test for Ohio State. And as a result of that, uh, I have a lot of questions for you. Well, I have, so, I have lots of answers. <laughs> okay, good, good. I'm very glad to hear that. Um, my first question is this, and this is kind of one of those, like, please tell us how cool we are questions, which is, are you surprised with how well Ohio State has performed, especially offensively, uh, with you know a- after the loss of Braxton Miller. Well, I mean, obviously, I think that was the question that everyone couldn't answer when he went down. I think even Ohio State fans would say that they didn't know what to expect, especially when you put a, a, a lot of unproven guys and you've lost a lot of guys on both sides of the ball. But offensively, uh, you know, admittedly, I thought Ohio State was going to look a little bit more like they did in the beginning of the year. But you know, anytime that you've got good players and you give them time to sort of figure things out together, they're going to get better, and that, that goes for Ohio State as well. Um, so, 
That is not the answer I was looking for, Ben. I wanted you to say <laughs> Tell that us you were like completely shocked. <laughs> we are incredible. Oh, no, right, keep doing it. right now, Ohio State looks as good as anybody, at least as good as anybody in the Big Ten. It's probably tough to say when you're hanging 50-plus on teams that are in the Big Ten where that stacks up. Uh, <laughs> no, that means something. Come on. Against the rest of the country, but certainly, you know, there's no doubt that Ohio State looks far better now than maybe what people thought they were going to at the beginning of the year. Right. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. Like that, you know, it, you're right. Obviously, I don't think I had any uh, concept that they were going to look this good. At least, again, as you say, against Big Ten competition. But I don't know, Michael. I mean, that, that's the other thing. Like, was that something that you expected? I didn't know what to expect, and especially after the Virginia Tech loss, I really kind of thought this might be a really rough season. But, um, uh, you know. College football is great for a reason, and we watch it for a reason. It's because you just don't know what the heck's going to happen. It, it, we can think we're smart, and we can study things and watch games, but we're not as smart as we think we are. All, all kinds of weird stuff can happen. Um, <laughs> but that said, Ben, first of all, welcome back to the program. We love having you back. And uh, secondly, Ben, I would like to know, without being like great on third downs, without like getting a whole lot of tackles for loss – what is that Penn State defensive line doing that is is making it so effective against the run? Well, I think really the the biggest thing that Penn State's been able to do this year is find balance. Um, last year, it was really when Deion Barnes rather go back two years when Deion Barnes won Freshman of the Year in the Big Ten at defensive end. In his second year with Bill O'Brien, there was a lot of teams that would just double team him that would really just take him out of the equation. And that, that meant Jordan Hill had to do a lot of stuff on the interior and there weren't a lot of answers along the rest of the line. And I think this year you're seeing Dion Barnes is doing well on his side. Uh, CJ Alanian's doing well on his side and Anthony Zettel's doing really well in the middle. And that's really give that given that defensive line, uh, you know, an ability to pressure from all sides of the line as well as the interior add in the fact that the linebackers have played uh, pretty well. That's giving them a lot of support in the running game because you know that those running backs are, are going to go right at the linebackers and the linebackers are going to play up on those runs. That I, I think that the the ability to not have to count on a single player in that, that rush defense has really uh, been a big part of what, what they've been able to do well and the fact that so many of these guys are having solid years across the board. So, I mean, how much of that do you think is attributable to the the coaching in general? And then I guess another larger question is, how do you feel James Franklin is doing in his uh, first year as head coach? Um, well, those are really two those are two big questions, I suppose. Um, you know, I think some of it has to do with coaching. Uh, you know, Sean Spencer's done a good job, sort of enthusing or infusing this energy into the line. But at the same time, uh, you know, they're coming off of having Larry Johnson, which you guys know as well or maybe are learning to know as well as, as Penn State fans know that, that he really brings out the best in a lot of these guys. And and to, to go from one to the other is hardly taking a step backwards or forward. So I think the personnel at this point has as much to do with that success as anything else as far as James Franklin as a whole. Um, you know, maybe the jury's going to be out on that until maybe next year, really. I, I think that Penn State – I did a story on it a couple of days ago. The Penn State's really playing these games with 49 scholarship players, and not all of right. these guys are players who were recruited because they were going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread, and not all of these guys are on scholarship um, for any other reason than they have to give them to somebody. So I think, uh, you know, in that respect, you know, has James Franklin done things that are, are you know, bad ideas? 
yeah, he's gone for it on fourth eleven, fourth and eleven, and not run towards the first down marker. You know, stuff like that. <laughs> uh, you know, things like that make you scratch your head. But at, at the end of the day, you know, Penn State's troubles have is uh, far more to do with what Penn State doesn't have the ability to work with than, uh, you know, going. You know, James Franklin is a bad football coach, or his his assistants don't know what they're doing. That kind of thing. Ben, one of the things that you touched on earlier the, on, the, on the defensive line play is the play of Zettel. And w- when I have watched Penn State play this year, he has made tons of plays all over the field. He's just in the backfield and harassing quarterbacks, and and he just looks really, really good. A lot of Ohio State fans don't know much about this kid. Uh, what can you tell us about him? What's his story? Um, well, really, I think one of the coolest things about him is that, that probably explains how he's played so well so far is that he actually wants to get into uh, UFC or the, the, the sort of MMA experience. So he and actually John Urschel, when John Urschel was training for the, the NFL Combine, went to a local MMA camp and sort of worked on their hands and, and worked on sort of these, these skill sets that are important to that particular sport but translate well over to the defensive line. I think Zettel's biggest thing uh, is, is really the fact that he had to play behind Jordan Hill for a long time, and Jordan Hill obviously is off in the NFL now making uh, you know, a name for himself, which, which definitely any time that you're playing behind a guy who's headed to the NFL is going to stunt the amount of time that you get to see your, the field yourself. Um, you know, as far as personally, he's from Michigan, which you know, I'm sure uh, doesn't sit well with, no, with you, no. but uh, you know, yeah, <laughs> despite the fact that the Penn State lost against Michigan, he had a pretty good game. Uh, finally, getting to go back, it's he's actually had in the past two games against Michigan an interception in each game. Which, considering that he's on the interior of the defensive line, is is pretty hard to get that done two games in a row against the same opponent. Uh, so, so that's certainly. You know, there's no doubt that he shows up when he gets back to his hometown. Uh, one of the things that I really want to talk about, maybe not at length, but I'm, I'm really curious about, is uh, just the, the evolution of Christian Hackenberg, especially the way he started the season and the way the last maybe three games have kind of panned out. Um, you know, especially the Michigan game. What, Where is he at mentally and where is he at developmentally? Because, like, both of those things... I, I feel like they're a little different. I feel like the dude's a little shaken up, and I also feel like the dude maybe is regressing a little bit. Is, is that a correct assessment? Well, I've, I've talked to a lot of people about this, and I've come up with a quasi-intelligent answer. To, 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 <laughs> That's better than, than my, my non-intelligent question. So. <laughs> well, it's a fair question, and I think everyone asks it because you see him play. You know, has his 400-yard-plus passing game, which which – Maybe people outside Penn State don't appreciate, but no Penn State quarterback has ever passed for 400 or more yards in a single game. And Hackenberg, yeah. you know, checks that off the list, you know, relatively early in the year, and everybody goes, "Oh, well, he's just going to have this, you know, year that, you know, this is what they recruited him for and what have you." And it really hasn't gone that way. Um, but to say that he regressed sort of implies um, his own mistakes unforced by others. And I think the biggest thing for him is the fact that he's getting very little time to operate. Um, he's certainly shaken up mentally in the sense that he's hearing footsteps maybe when they aren't there. He's seeing things that maybe aren't there. And a lot of that all just comes back to the fact that his offensive line isn't very good. Um, you know, to say that he was regressing on his own merits kind of, for me, I look at it this way. If he had the same offensive line two years in a row, I don't think that he'd be making the same mistakes this year um, that he is making right now. So I think that right. in that regard, he hasn't regressed 
mentally or in an ability mindset or an ability setting, but in terms of how he's actually playing, um, which I suppose is the only thing that matters. Uh, you know, he's certainly not playing as well as he did last year, but I don't think that he'd be playing that poorly if, if there were, you know, more than a few traffic cones ahead of him to block. You know, I'm glad you brought up the offensive line and the struggles there because we've we've heard a lot about it. And honestly, if you don't watch the you know all the all the games, you're not really sure how much of it is hyperbole and how much of it is real. How bad? I mean, because I've heard that this is a historically bad for Penn State offensive line. Do you do you agree with that? How bad is it? Are we going to see Joey Bosa have nine sacks next weekend? Or we, enlighten us a little bit. I mean, the biggest thing, actually, to answer your, that last part, it's entirely possible. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sure that won't actually happen, but it would be the, the least surprising thing. If I've learned anything, actually, from covering Penn State, it's that if you don't think it'll happen, then that probably means it will happen. <laughs> and I would cite a volcano possibly canceling a game as one example <laughs> of said issues. But, I mean, really the biggest thing is that, that Donovan Smith on the left tackle spot is really the only guy – um, that has any experience on the offensive line. And at best, he's been up and down. He certainly has the highest ceiling of anyone on that line in terms of experience and what he's capable of doing. But right now, it's guys that aren't really, uh, you know, probably wouldn't be starting in other years. Miles Diefenbach goes down before the season ever starts uh, with a knee injury. He might come back this week. That's sort of the, the, the one question everyone's been following at this point. Um, but really, these guys are inexperienced. They move two guys over from defensive line to play offensive line, and they still aren't too deep across the board on the front. Um, so you, you figure going into this year, if you take out those two defensive players, you know Penn State is basically putting out the five options that they've got of guys that are just physically capable of playing college football, uh, <laughs> right? Plus one guy who's who's, who's started for a while. Um, so when you look at it that way. Uh, you know, these guys are bad. There's no doubt about it. But in some respects, they're in over, you know, in over their head in water. They never expected to swim in, in the first place. And they're all terribly young, um, which is not always an excuse. But I think offensive line is probably one of those positions that takes the longest to physically prepare for it and mentally, you know, really get that thing figured out. Well, see, that's I think a lot of these questions that we're asking kind of comes down to the same thing, which is, you know, Penn State dealing with, you know, like you said, so few scholarship players, a lot of other things, a lot of transition going on. How does this team project in the next couple of years because of that? I mean, there are going to be some positive changes in terms of that, you know, coming up soon. But like, what does this team have to be uh, to maybe get to the point where I know like all Penn State fans want them to see them at again? Well, that's really the big question. And, and Franklin got asked last week during the bye week something along those lines of, you know, how long is it going to take you to get back to uh, personnel-wise where you were. And Penn State's going to be able to get technically in that 85 scholarship region next year. A lot of these guys are going to be redshirt freshmen. So like a lot of schools, they'll be at that 85, but they won't be playing with 85. But at the same time, there's a lot of guys on this roster that got offered scholarships or maybe playing um, that wouldn't have been a normal situation. You have to be able to, I, I don't want to say flush them out because that's that's not the right sort of word, but at the same time, you have to be able to get these guys out of the program over the course of their career and, and get you know new talent to come in and fill their place as, as, as players graduate and move on with their careers. So it's going to take a little while, but at the same time, this team is not lacking talent. I mean, Penn State's tight ends are still as good 
if not better than most teams in the country. Christian Hackenberg, despite the fact that he hasn't been great this year, is still probably chances are that you would trade your quarterback for him if you had an offensive line. Uh, maybe <laughs> Ohio State specifically, but you know, you right. the omnipotent college football team would take Christian Hackenberg. Bill Belton and Zwinnick have been basically invisible this year, but that comes down to the fact that no one's blocking for them. So I think there's a lot of things on this team that will be here next year. Penn State's the second youngest team in Division One football right now. Add in the fact they don't have a lot of scholarships, so experience is going to help. You add in more scholarships, more help. Uh, you know, I don't want to put a year on it because nobody really knows, but, but it, it, there's certainly not a lack of talent on this roster. There's just a lack of depth, which is which is hurt more than anything else, and, and that'll be back sooner rather than later. Well, what I will say is that I think it's, you know, me and I know a lot of other people thought that Penn State would simply be just a zombie team at this point. So I think the fact that, you know, you, you do have the record that you do, and there is, like, optimism of a sort, you know, in, in, at Penn State, I think is, is really telling uh, the way that's kind of that program's managed to stay afloat. So I think that's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely one of the things I don't think anybody knew what to expect, uh, you know, when all these sanctions came out. And people forget sometimes that, you know, when everyone said they were unprecedented sanctions, you know, that, that they really meant it. So when it comes down to them being in play, and this year was always going to be probably the toughest year under those sanctions that, you know, People go, they look at Penn State at face value and go, they're four and two, they're not very good, their offensive line's not very good, their quarterback's struggling, and they can't run the ball. And all of that's very true, but at the same time, it's not exactly a surprise that it's come to this point, nor is it necessarily indicative of, you know, they're not Purdue. They're not like a full <laughs> team that's got every, There's no excuse for them to be bad necessarily, and they, they can't figure it out. You know, Penn State's in a situation where someone's standing on their head trying to make them bad, and they're probably doing better than they should be because of it. Well, Purdue might not be Purdue anymore, the way they've played the last couple of weeks. This is true. I apologize to Purdue. <laughs> <laughs> Illinois might be the new Purdue. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, it, they're not. They're not Illinois. I'll say that. I can't, <laughs> I'll take that back. Thank God. Uh, so the last thing that I wanted to ask you about, and this is this is kind of a maybe a more family matter, personal thing, but you know, uh, we have a new a new uh, defensive line coach. You might have heard of him. Uh, over here at Ohio State, and uh, how how Penn State fans reacted to that, uh, to us kind of you know poaching a very long time hardcore Nittany Lion. Well, it's interesting because I think a lot of people, you know, he's he had been at Penn State for 18 years, and I think you know anyone who's followed Penn State even sort of tangentially knows that they've had a lot of good defensive linemen and guys come through that program, and a lot of that, just basically all of it, has to do with what Larry Johnson's been able to do. He stayed on board for two coaching staffs to, to really keep those uh, recruiting classes together during the transition periods. He was a big recruiter. There was, you know, there was nothing not to like about what Larry Johnson brought to the table. So from that respect, um, you know, I think when you when you spend two decades at a place, people appreciate what you gave them. When you leave to go to a rival or, or whatever you want to call Penn State, uh, you know, I don't want to I want to stir up that one. Um, but if you leave to go to uh, essentially a rival team in your division, in, in your conference, you know, there's going to be people that go, you know, this is really too bad. But at the same time, you know, it wasn't like he left in the dead of night in in a uh, Joe Paterno era staff. You know, he probably knew that he wasn't going to get retained. He said today that he wasn't really looking for a job. He was thinking about spending time sort of just uh, – not relaxing because I don't know if guys like that ever really relax, but taking some time off and figuring things out. 
and that was when he was approached for the job. So I think anytime, uh, you know, Ohio State's a team, especially at the time that he was offered the job, that people go, you know, they have a chance to win a national title. And it's hard to imagine that a guy who's spent so many decades coaching college football is going to turn down that opportunity to join a staff like that. So, you know, I think people understand for the most part. And, you know, I don't know if Penn State will do anything to say, you know, hey, welcome back. Thanks for everything you did on Saturday, because I'm sure people are going to be amped up for that game no matter what. But I, I think certainly for the most part, people understand where he's coming from. And, you know, they wish the best for him, you know, just as long as it doesn't mean he's beating Penn State. Well, that's I'm sure Larry Johnson just breathed a huge sigh of relief. So that's that's good. <laughs> that's very good to hear. Um, also good to hear is having you on the Dubcast again. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, that is Ben Jones, Penn State beat writer, statecollege.com. Thanks again, man. Hey, thanks, thanks for having me. All right, and that is our 11 Dubcast. Thanks again to the wonderful uh, Ben Jones. Uh, I'm really glad that we get to have that guy as a resource. He is excellent. Um, and I'm really glad we talked to you, Michael. Michael Citro. It's, it's, it's always good sitting down and talking to some Ohio State football, especially after they beat the living crap out of a uh, – a very deserving uh, Rutgers team. Yes. So I'm pretty happy. I enjoy our chats, Johnny. I do. I, I do. As do I. As do I. So here's my question for you. This is a little early, but I like Halloween questions, and I want to give you an opportunity to hit me with one next week. So my question to you is, Michael Citro, what is your all-time favorite Halloween costume that you personally have worn? I would have to say uh, I made a robot costume once that I was pretty proud of. I, That's I, awesome. I know. I took uh, took some cardboard boxes and some, uh, you know, the, the, the dryer tubing, the dryer vent tubing, and <laughs> yeah. um, and some tin foil, and I and I created this uh, this whole elaborate robot costume, and um, and uh, even had it like a helmet for it and everything, and and decorated it, and it was like completely homemade, and I never homemade my I'm usually lazy. I'm like, I'm going as a football player, throwing some shoulder pads and a jersey, and off I go, you know. But uh, I'm going as a guy who owns some cleats. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I think that that robot, and I, God, I don't even know how old I was. It was probably like a seventh or eighth grade thing. And, um, uh, yeah, so the cool thing was, you know, we went around our neighborhood. We, were, we I grew up in a rural area, and it was a very small little uh, development. So maybe, I don't know, 30 or 40 houses, right? And right. so I went around in my in my robot costume where nobody could see who I was and went around and did my thing. And then we went as fast as we could. And then when I got back home, then I took off the robot and put on my baseball uniform and went as a baseball player. And so I doubled up on the candy. So that was that was my favorite one. What about you, Johnny? What's your favorite all-time uh, costume that you've worn? I've got two. There's a tie. There's a tie for number one. My first one was – uh, well, I've got a costume that I made that was not for Halloween. Um, I want to count it, though, anyway. I was Mysterio, and I made the helmet myself, and I was very proud of myself. Uh, it, it actually looks pretty darn good, if I do say so myself. But specifically made for Halloween, I did Abraham Lincoln one year. I was very <laughs> proud of that. Uh, I, found, I figured out a way that you can make like a vest out of a shirt. Like You just have to cut it in a certain way. I made my own top hat. Uh, I made my own beard because God knows I can't grow one. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, that, that was pretty good. But I got to say, really high up there as well uh, was when I went as Joel from Mystery Science Theater 3000. Nice. And I made my, yeah, I made my own Gizmonics Institute jumpsuit. So I was incredibly proud of that one. Um, so, yeah, I'd say those are pretty high up there. And by the way, I highly encourage any listeners to request these pictures uh, if you do so desire to see. Uh, I think Johnny you should Gizmonics. put them in the Dubcast post. They should be in the Dubcast post. 
I think that's a good idea. And in fact, I think maybe that's something that we need to extend to the rest of Eleven Warriors. So maybe that's something I'll, I'll get on the horn and, and get on the horn with the brain trust and kind of talk about. Let's let's see if we can get that going. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Halloween's coming up. I'm very excited. Also coming up is Penn State. Still excited for that, too, although after talking to Ben Jones, I'm like, man, maybe their defense is good. Eh, whatever. They lost to Michigan. I don't give a crap. Um, <laughs> but until then, until next week, uh, where we will surely gloat about another Ohio State victory, my name is Johnny Ginter. I am Michael Citro. And we will see you guys next time. Peace. Peace.